area that I really shifted during this pandemic is creating personal connections and psychological safety. The conversations that I've had with people that it's okay to not be okay and to allow them to have the space to voice where they were struggling has really changed me as a leader really extending my heart has made me a richer, more human leader altogether. Because when you're not connecting in the office, you have to find ways to make people feel heard and feel like they're contributing. Great companies are all about the people. Good people become great leaders, mentors for work and life. Welcome to Learnings from Leaders, the P&G alumni podcast. I'm Raman Segel, recovering marketer. And I'm Ida Abdelkani, a chief catalyzer. Raman and I both got our start at P&G, the Procter & Gamble company, where we had the opportunity to work with some amazing people. And as you may know, many leaders across industries got their start at P&G. In this series, through conversations with fellow P&G alums, we hope to go deeper with the leaders you already know, but want to know more about. It's kind of like bringing a microphone to a cup of coffee. On today's show, we're talking to P&G alumni leader, Ramey Kent, Senior VP and Global CMO of 3M. It was a far-ranging conversation about things not always being what they seem, learnings on how to be choiceful, what leadership during a pandemic looks like, and speaking one's truth, especially as a minority voice. And that simply, sometimes, it's okay to not be okay. Ramey teaches us that creating that psychological safety for others and extending our hearts makes us more human, vulnerable leaders. Here's a quick bio. Ramey is currently Senior Vice President and Global Chief Marketing Officer for the 3M Consumer Business Group, responsible for delivering profitable growth for their most iconic brands. She brings strategic thinking, operational discipline, innovation, and marketing mastery to solve complex business challenges, such as her work to launch Scotch Flex and Seal Shipping, which won Time Magazine's Best Innovations Award. During her tenure at P&G and again at 3M, Ramey cultivates diverse, high-performance teams and has taken her leadership skills into the community, sitting on the board of the YWCA of Minneapolis and being a founding member of the Black Executive CMO Alliance. She is a focused mother of a teenager and is also participating in various actions to help dismantle racism. What I love is Ramey's vulnerability. She's not afraid to open up and talk about obstacles she faced and that many of us encounter, but often do not voice. I think many of us can relate to the challenges she faced making choices and staying focused at work to prioritize family while still delivering exceptional results to not letting race or other factors put on us by society limit us, and giving a voice to and speaking up when something isn't right. Her evolving learning as an empathetic leader, especially during the pandemic when 3M was working on supply chain demand to deliver masks and supplies to frontline workers, to her lived experience as a Black woman in corporate America, Ramey reminds us that we must be the voice, not the echo. She reminds us why it's so important to share different perspectives and diverse thoughts. We all have so much to listen to and learn from each other, and we are all a work in progress. So let's dive in. We hope you will enjoy our conversation with Ramey Kent. 
Today, we're talking to Ramey Kent, Senior VP and Global CMO of 3M. Ramey, welcome to the podcast. It's a delight to have you here. Thank you. It's awesome to be here. Well, thank you. You know, so many, I think, know your professional story being a P&G alum, but I want to give everyone a quick recap. Ramey is currently Senior VP and Global CMO for 3M, where she heads e-commerce, media, insights, and analytics, and integrated marketing for the Consumer Business Group. Ramey joined 3M after a 13-year career with Procter & Gamble. During her P&G career, she led businesses across North America, Asia, and Western Europe with leadership experience in brand building, P&L ownership, strategy, innovation development, and digital and social marketing. Her businesses have spanned mass and prestige channels and new business acquisitions. And she's also been recognized by AdAge as a 40 under 40 marketer. Ramey earned her MBA from Florida A&M University and enjoys life with her young son, along with traveling, reading, fashion, and volunteering. Ramey is currently serving as a board member for the YWCA of Minneapolis, is a founding member of the Black Executive CMO Alliance and Marketing 50 and Mobile Marketing Association. She is also leading and participating in various actions to help dismantle racism in her work and community. So, Ramey, there is so much I want to ask you about here. But first, let's take a step back and help our listeners understand what's a meaningful story or lesson from your childhood growing up before we jump into career? Oh, sure. Well, my father is from Sierra Leone, West Africa, and he grew up really with small beginnings. But he always had this yearning for more opportunity. So he independently worked to kind of raise enough money to come and study in the United States and was successful in getting a scholarship to do that and study under a work study program. And his father used the mortgage on his home to help support my dad's travel to the U.S. But really from there, he had to make his own way. And my dad's pursuit of education really changed the trajectory of his life and subsequently mine. His strong lesson for me has just always been that a good education is the pathway to success. So to say the least, both of my parents were very rigid with me on my grades and an A was the only grade that was acceptable. (laughs) And I consider that lesson from my father is what contributes to my desire. I consider myself a continuous learner even today. And I love both of my parents for instilling that in me. Thank you so much for sharing that. I can empathize with that as well in terms of the grades. I remember so many of my friends would get incentives, you know, for getting an A, like a trip or a bike or something like that. And for me, it was just an expectation to be able to bring home that that A plus report card. Well, in hearing a little bit more about that story and the work ethic that it seems to have instilled in you, how do you think that that affected you as you started thinking about your career and what you wanted to do post getting your your education in college? Yeah, I think, I mean, for me, it was very important to get a great education. So college was very clear, a clear next step. And I think the way it affects my work ethic today is that 
I am a continuous learner. I, I feel like I have a natural growth mindset. I'm constantly considering even going back to school to study things. <laughs> but until I decide to do that, I'm constantly in conferences and classes as time permits, reading, just really trying to make sure my skills stay cutting edge and I stay on top of our changing landscape in marketing and in business. So it, it's just in me and it's fun. I enjoy it. And I feel like when I'm not learning, I'm stunted. Well, is there something that you can share with our listeners in terms of a new learning that you're kind of digging in to right now, or maybe a favorite book? I know you said you like to read a lot that the rest of us could maybe look to as well. Yeah. I mean, right now, I actually had spoken with one of my mentors about really digging into data science and e-commerce, and she suggested that I get a mentor. And so I found someone in the industry that works in data analytics and e-commerce, and we actually meet every Friday. So we're meeting today, actually, to talk about e-commerce and data analytics. And so AI and data science and, and how that kind of study of data science is really moving the needle in terms of marketing and what we know about our consumers and predictive modeling. I'm just really intrigued by it and I'm learning a ton. That's amazing. And as you know, I mean, our show is called Learnings from Leaders. And I think mentorship is such a critical part of becoming a great leader. I'm sure you mentor many and it sounds like you also have mentors yourself. Who have been some of those major mentors or leaders that you've admired along your own career path? Well, I've admired a lot of people, but a few stand out for me. A.C. Eggleston Bracey, she's just brilliant and strategic and a delight to know. Still a friend of mine. I don't spend nearly as much time with her as I would like, but I will always consider her a friend. Michael Karemsky, another PNG alum for his creativity and just how he harnesses diverse team strengths. Kirk Perry was another for his inspiring leadership and willingness to take risks and give people opportunities. Kirk is known for leaning in and giving people that maybe weren't in marketing opportunities to come into the function. And then a few 3M folks, Joaquin Delgado, just he used to be my EVP and his innovative mindset and just commitment to DEI was inspiring. And then Kim Price for her heart and mentorship and just her desire to give back has really inspired me as well. Well, do you have any advice maybe for how you can really foster one of those mentor mentee relationships? That's a really good question. I think over time, I have been hit or miss in finding mentors. I actually don't do as well when mentors are assigned to me. I do much better when I see someone who has characteristics or attributes that I really am naturally attracted to. 
and then nurturing that relationship. So I don't think you can just go up to someone and say, will you please be my mentor, even though that works successfully for some. I find that nurturing the relationship over time and just having conversations and seeing if the chemistry is there and the natural affinity is there is how I've developed my best mentorship relationships, if you will. Yeah, I think that's great advice. I think it's very much my experience as well. I know when I was at PNG, they assigned us mentors, which worked out great. But I think, as you said, that natural affinity, right, and having some of those attributes that really resonate can be a great fit for a mentorship relationship. Well, Ramey, let's talk a little bit about the start of your career at PNG. I know you and I actually were kind of ships passing in the night on Olay. You were working on the other side of the aisle on Olay on skincare, and I was on body care. Interested in your PNG experience in terms of were there any early career defining moments that you experienced at PNG? And if so, you know, how have those fueled you or set you up for your future as you've gone into marketing and other companies? Yeah, so I love Olay, still love it today. <laughs> it is in my blood and always will be. But the first brand I worked on was Noxzema. And coming into the company, I was so excited because just with my consumer hat, I thought Noxzema was big and iconic. And I just felt lucky to have landed that role in skincare on such a recognized brand. And then I quickly discovered things are not always what they seem. (laughs) What I found was that it was one of the smaller brands in the portfolio and resources were lower. Noxima was kind of the ugly stepsister to the premier bigger brand Olay. And at the time, Noxima was declining in sales. And so that meant that most of my time was spent on business reviews and (laughs) analysis versus the sexy marketing that I had kind of set my mind on coming into the company. And one day, my direct boss was away and my boss's boss, who was Michael Karimsky at the time, came to me with a, it was kind of an emergency pressing business issue. We were threatened with loss distribution on the brand at a key account. And because of my time and analysis, I was able to share with him just some insights on the business that led us to really put our heads together and create a promotion on Noxzema using this little small sample jar size that we had seen in in very small scale that consumers love. They just thought it was nostalgic and cute and kind of retro. And so we quickly analyzed the ROI and made sure we could deliver on the timing. And then he and I pitched this to the customer and we were able to sell in the promotion and that saved the business loss at that time. And it was just a great opportunity for me because Noxima just made me singularly focus on analysis, which was not my superpower when I came into the company. And by really having that focus on analytics, I was able to impact the business in a powerful way and ultimately impress the guy who would then put me on Olay, which was the big (laughs) brand that I was trying to get to. So it was really awesome. But things are not always what they seem. 
but it turned out to be the best for me in terms of generating the learning and understanding of analytics that I needed. Right. Yeah, I know. I've experienced that a lot on the brands I worked on too, right? A lot of times things can seem a little sexier than than they really are. Well, I think one thing that I personally find really interesting about your journey, having kind of crossed paths on a way is that you took some time off before you came back to your role on the Target Corporation. And that's not very common in the P&G world. So could you tell us a little bit more about how you came to that decision? I actually took a sabbatical and it didn't actually turn out to be a sabbatical. (laughs) So it was right before I had had a child. I wanted to take some time off to think about my career. So I asked for a sabbatical and it was supposed to be a three month sabbatical. I got approval to do that and really excited about the time off. But at the same time I had gotten approval for the sabbatical, I was then asked to take a role on the target team in Minneapolis. So at the time I was in Cincinnati and it was interesting because it was going to eat into that move was then going to eat into my sabbatical, but I really had to decide if that target team opportunity was right for me. And I was honored that the company asked me to do it because when you're at PNG, being on a customer team is an important part of your growth and development. And Walmart and Target are kind of the bee's knees in those choices. And so Target was more in my wheelhouse of where I like to shop and (laughs) what I appreciate just as a consumer. So I really wanted to make it work. So long story short, I really didn't have that time off because I probably had about three weeks off because I actually moved from Cincinnati to Minneapolis and I cut that three month sabbatical down to a two month sabbatical. So my intentions were really not met in terms of a full sabbatical, but I really wanted to jump into this new opportunity on the target team, which was great for me. Wow. And that's what brought you to Minneapolis. And I think as many of our listeners know, the home of 3M. You know, Remy, I know you were recently promoted to CMO at 3M, and this was right before the pandemic. And many people may have not known this before, but I think now with the pandemic, many are aware 3M is more than its well-known Post-its brand, right? And makes many products in the healthcare space. So can you tell us a little bit about what you've learned over the past year about leading your team, about yourself in the initial stages of the pandemic, being a new CMO and coming in at a time where masks and respirators were just an essential tool for our frontline workers and communities. I imagine there were a lot of challenges and competing needs at the time and prioritization that you had to make as a a leader in a new role. So I would love if you could just tell us a little bit more about that experience and what you learned from it. Yeah, I mean, I think this pandemic has rounded out and stretched leaders in ways that I think were unimaginable. I think not only have leaders grown, but 
the people that work for us have had to stretch in ways that they didn't realize. And so the biggest thing that I feel I have learned in these moments is, number one, to focus and prioritize. During this time, now more than ever, as a leader, it was important for my team to be able to look to me and say, here are the three big rocks that we have to focus on and be singular in our efforts and really deliver these. And while there's a host of other things we could be working on, those things are not going to make or break us. They're not going to drive impact in the marketplace to the degree that these three things will. And so singular focus, I think, was one big one. The second area that I felt that I really shifted during this pandemic is creating personal connections and psychological safety for people. So the conversations that I've had with people about their family dynamics, their stressors, really having the sentiment of it's okay to not be okay and to allow them to have the space to be able to voice to me where they were struggling it has really changed me as a leader. I think I've always had really good connections with my people, but I would say it took it to a level of really extending my heart in ways that I hadn't before because the level of vulnerability and sharing was just not as high as it's been in the pandemic. And what that has made me B is just a richer, more human leader altogether. And I really, that is the one thing I appreciate about this time because I had to find ways when you're not connecting in drive-bys by the office, you're not in the office, you have to find ways to make people feel heard and make them feel like they're contributing. And I think I've, I've really stepped into that pretty well. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you say this idea of it's okay for things to not be okay, because I don't know if you know this, but I actually talked to a few people that work for you as part of my prep for for our interview together and our conversation together. And one of the individuals I spoke with said those exact words. She said, Ramey makes it okay for things to not be okay. And that really stood out to me because I think it really speaks to the calming presence that you bring as a leader. And also some of the feedback that I'd heard too was about your prioritization of family and making sure that people feel like they can bring their whole self to work and prioritize their family as well. What are some lessons that you have for us around that prioritization? The work-life balance, I think, is something that many of us struggle with. And it's a continual challenge, I think. Even when we think we've got it figured out, something else comes up. (laughs) We have to rebalance again. What have been some of your learnings in terms of being able to balance those? Yeah, so I actually just got choked up because it's really wonderful to You can think certain things about yourself, but it's really wonderful to hear that like what you've been trying to do yourself is actually landing well with people. So thank you for sharing that with me. I did not realize that you had talked to people that worked with me, but 
I honestly, I started to learn this family prioritization when I was working on Olay. And I remember getting pregnant when I was on Olay Skincare, which was a crucible role for me. And it was big global brand, P&L ownership. It's what everybody wanted at PNG, and I needed to rock it. And getting pregnant for me, though, was not easy. So my baby, who is now about to be a 14-year-old, <laughs> meant the world to me. And what I knew is that I couldn't let the stress of the job harm my baby. So I began to prioritize in a way that I hadn't. And what I learned is we so often we have great people working underneath us. And so I learned how to delegate. I planned the successful end in mind and I only focused on the things that I knew would deliver that end. So really projected to when I finish this role, what do I want my manager to say about me? What are the things that I want to have accomplished? And the role was actually the happiest in my career because I had something so precious to me that I was going to protect with all of my might. And so it really forced me to create, I don't like the word balance, but it forced me to create choices and really get clear about what was important. And that desire to have a healthy child was just greater than my desire to be successful. But what I found is that as I got clear on those priorities, I was able to do both and do it with a level of kind of breathing room that I hadn't had. So I wish I was as consistently clear as I was then because I often don't have like a child at stake when I'm prioritizing these days. But those were lessons I learned and really making sure you understand what you're aiming for. That end in mind is really big. It's a big enabler for me. Mimi, thank you for sharing that. I know there's a lot of vulnerability there, I think, in, in talking about some of these topics that we don't always talk about, I think, especially as women and women in business, right? With trying to get pregnant and having children, trying to blend things, balance things and make those choices. I love what you said about not thinking about it as balance as much as choice making. That's something even I have have struggled with a lot. And I like to think about it instead as blending versus balance. Uh -huh. I feel like balance always means something's actually out of balance, right? Like you're always kind of trying, <laughs> you're on that teeter-totter trying to get things back, right? Versus a blend. So I love this kind of concept that you just gave me and the listeners around choices. As you think about what you learned during that time in Olay and when you were having your son, those choices that you had to make, how is that progressed for you and your career, kind of that defining moment? I know you mentioned you don't have a, a young son that you're dealing with anymore. You have a teenager, but it's still right constantly a, a choice and a prioritization. How do you deal with that today in the present environment, especially with the pandemic and a new way of working, working from home and having to balance or make choices in a whole different way? Yeah, I would say that I do not want to position myself as, as being on top of this fully, right? I think we all have times in our lives where we feel like we're clear and really driving choice in a way that makes us feel good and whole and complete. And then there are other times where I feel like, oh my gosh, 
am I doing anything right? Right. I'm giving myself to multiple things and it doesn't feel like I can point to that one thing that I could say, wow, I'm excelling in that. And so there are a couple of things that I try to do. Number one, my family, my son is important to me. I try to think about what I want him to say when he's grown and out of my house about what his experience with me is like. And then I try to put my behaviors around that. So it's really important to me that he sees that I'm at his activities, the things that are important to him, that he feels like I'm able to make myself available when he needs me for homework or to have a conversation, even though these days I can barely get him to talk to me anymore. (laughs) But I want him to feel like I was available to him. And when not only was I there in body, but I was present, fully present. And so my family, the way I plan around his activities are just my assistant helps me calendar those things and we make sure they're on the calendar and I'm there. As far as priorities and making choices in career and the work I do, it goes back to there are so many things we could spend our days on and there's so many distractions and you will get pulled in different directions. And so what I try to do is center myself again on at the end of this year, what do I want to have accomplished? And on a weekly basis, I'm making sure that the choices where I'm spending my time are on those things. And when I get off track, I have to just realign myself back to the end in mind and what, what am I doing to really enable that end. So it sounds a lot simpler than it is on a daily basis, but I think having kind of a practice of realignment and evaluating helps because you can quickly see where, wait a minute, I said I want to accomplish this and my time is being spent more over here and the two do not connect. I have to realign and recalendar and reprioritize. And now a word from our sponsor. Today we're talking to Bernice Ang, a board member of the PNG Alumni Women's Leadership Forum, a community of high-impact PNG alumni women with the drive, resources, and experience to make a positive and meaningful difference. So Bernice, I understand the Women's Leadership Forum is launching a coaching program, especially for our PNG alumni. Can you tell me why you guys are doing this? Hi, Ramon. Yes, you know our mission is to be a force for growth that empowers women to reach their full potential. So we create platforms like this coaching program where our members can bond and sisterhood to both give and gain from each other. That's so great. I mean, I feel like we're hearing a lot more about coaching these days. Who would you say that things like coaching is best for? Coaching is a process that helps you unlock your full potential through three things. One is powerful questioning, where we gain clarity on the goals or issue. Two, exploration, where we delve deep and reflect on the forces at play. And three, action planning, where we focus on behavior changes that lead to 
powerful results. So just as professional athletes have coaches to help them perform at their best, coaching can help professionals like Monique thrive in work and in life. And so it's for high-performing people who are willing to challenge themselves and go after their dreams, whether it's about their careers or personal aspirations, so that each day they can become better than they were the day before. So how exactly does this form of professional coaching that you guys are going to be offering, how does it work? We typically start by understanding what the person wants to accomplish and why it's important to them. Then we paint a crystal clear picture of their desired outcomes where we uncover roadblocks as we go, like if they have a fear or lack certain skills, then we support them to take consistent actions to attain those outcomes. And in the course of three to six months, the client actually generates very real, tangible results for themselves session after session. That makes a lot of sense. So who exactly are these PNG alumni coaches and what are their types of credentials? We're a small, diverse team of PNG alumni women who are trained professional and certified coaches. We've been practicing for a number of years and we each have at least 15 years of senior leadership experience in Fortune 500 companies. So we've led multi-billion dollar businesses and developed many, many high-performing leaders. And at this point in our lives, we want to be a resource for our younger alumni to help guide them through their journey. It sounds like really powerful and important work. So how can folks find out more to take advantage of such a great service? Just go to coaching.pgalumns.com to learn more. And we're actually offering a limited number of free coaching engagements for the next six months so that our alumni can personally experience the power of professional coaching. And I invite anyone listening to take advantage of this great offer by registering at coaching.pgalums.com. Well, thank you so much, Bernice. Best of luck with this program. Can't wait to hear more. Thanks, Ryan. And now, back to our show. When it comes to choices, I know a choice that you've made very proactively is to be a volunteer and very involved in your community. And I know that you've done a lot to lend your voice to issues around diversity, equity, and inclusion, especially with 3M being headquartered only a few miles away from where the Black Lives Matter movement reignited with protests following George Floyd's tragic death. I know you've been a vocal supporter. I know 3M has taken action as well as a corporation to ensure continual, consistent progress is made towards equality and accountability. But I think what's really interesting, Remy, is you have the lived experience of phenomenal success in corporate, both as a woman, right, a minority gender in the C-suite, and as an individual of color. And as I'm hearing you talk about your choices, I'm wondering if you could maybe share with us a little bit about your personal experiences in this context. Any lessons from these experiences that have shaped how you show up as a professional and a leader? Yeah, this is always a sensitive topic, and it is one that has become more and more, frankly, painful and exhausting and and takes a lot of mental capacity to deal with. And growing up, my parents taught me when I face challenges in life, really to consider the fact that I'm a Black woman last. 
and they encouraged me to do this so that I would always be introspective about where I needed to change or grow when issues arise and frankly, just not fall back on race as the reason for my woes. And I followed their guidance a lot, but almost to a degree where I have sometimes been afraid to admit that I thought I was being treated differently or that the systemic racism in our country doesn't affect me. And lately, I have to say that I've just been more astute that it does affect me. And mostly at work, it is the microaggressions in corporate America that honestly just really bother me. And it's things like being accused of having a tone when you're convicted or passionate. This is one that's frankly documented, well-documented, that is a title that's put on Black women. Or watching a new white counterpart have their recommendations taken without extensive rationale or data or backup, and yours are overly scrutinized. Or even just noticing that maybe you don't feel or it doesn't seem that you get the same respect at your level as maybe others. And I think me and others like me live with these things more often than I would like to admit. And the fear is that by calling them out, you kind of risk people feeling less comfortable with you or having less trust and affinity. And that trust and affinity is... Already harder to gain because you may be different. And so it can be really stressful. And I often ponder it extensively before I voice it, but I'm starting to gain the courage to authentically share how I feel. Because at the CMO level, if I can't share my truth and have the safety of doing so, I'm likely not in the right place. And there's so many others that work in my organization and others that need us to speak out. And I think speaking out is what drives the change. Absolutely. I think you hit on something that I think is really important, and that's to be the voice and not the echo, right? A lot of yes. times we, we end up being in an echo chamber and we surround ourselves with the people that think like us. And we need those voices and we need our voices to be able to to make sure that we're communicating our true lived experiences, even if it's uncomfortable. So thank you for sharing that with us. I think it's a really important message. And it makes me think about our future and where we're headed. As a leader of a large organization and someone who's really active in your community and also serving as an example for your son, What is one piece of advice that you would want to give our leaders listening today as they think about the future? Yeah, (laughs) I wish we all kind of knew. I kind of want to ask a leader to give me that advice. (laughs) I think ultimately, leaders are going to need to continue to do what they've always done and providing an inspiring vision of where the business is going and how to get there. But I believe now more than ever, there's the need for creating 
psychological safety and vulnerability and humanity. And I think it's an imperative. And so I think the depth of my knowing and understanding my team in a personalized way through this pandemic is greater and I enjoy it. And I've been vulnerable in sharing my feelings about social justice and challenges with the business and just more open to deeper exchanges with those I work with. And what I'm seeing is that there is a energy and a connectedness that comes with that. And I would say that all of our leaders are going to have to show up that way. I think I've experienced in my career a lot of leaders who are only about the business objectives and not enabling their teams to get there and not showing the human side of the ability to relate to really what's happening in the world and to those around them. And that's just no longer acceptable. So I I think that humanity, bring it out let it show and bring more and more of yourselves to everything you're doing in work and in home. Remy, I think one of the things that's really stood out to me so far in our conversation is that focus that you have on the humanity, right? Bringing your whole self, bringing your real self to everything that you do. And I know you also place special importance on your son. So before we get into, we have some fun kind of final questions that we like to ask. And before we do that, I'd love to just get your take on what do you think your son would say he's learned from you? Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) Should I call him in here to say? (laughs) (laughs) I think Nolan would say that ultimately, my biggest thing for him is that I want him to have confidence in himself. And it took me a long time to personally get here in that just accepting of the things that you do well and the things that you don't do well and just embracing yourself fully and pushing forward on those things that you do well and and allowing them to really guide you in your choices and in both career and life and not beating yourself up for the things that you don't do well. So I think I think he would get that from me. So I think that's what he would say. That is a fantastic message. Honestly, something I think we all need to hear more of, right? The acceptance of ourselves and what, with all our imperfections, right? We're imperfectly perfect. Absolutely. <laughs> Ramey, on, on that note, I want to move into a few of our just rapid fire fun questions. These are questions where people probably don't know these things about you. So we give our listeners a chance to learn something different and interesting. So what would be maybe one fact about you that surprises people? Well, I think one would be, I often share that one of my favorite TV shows of all time is Little House on the Prairie. (laughs) I think that people find that kind of surprising because there's this perception that I might be on the fancier side and they don't think of me as loving life in Walnut Grove, but I do. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's awesome. Okay, what about if you had infinite resources? And I want to ask you this one because I know you said that you are a continual learner. So if you had infinite resources and you could learn one thing, what would it be? I would actually go to acting school. I once upon a time aspired to maybe do some acting and and be in movies and on television. And so if I could just do one thing for fun, it would be to do that. Awesome. What's your go-to media scape? Movies, books, or TV? I would say TV. I'm definitely a Netflix fan. And I actually just recently binged Jenny and Georgia, and I loved it. Oh, what's that one? I have not heard of that. That is about a mother and a daughter. And well, I should say a mother and her two kids. And the daughter is mixed race. The mother is white. And she's a single mom. And she makes some choices that many of us would question in her parenting. But it is interesting to see kind of the capers that they get into in their lives together as a family. Sounds good. I'm adding it to my Netflix list. (laughs) (laughs) Some, Some weekend viewing. Okay, and final fun question. If there was somebody that you could get coffee with, who would that be? If you could have your choice of anyone. It would probably be Kamala Harris. I think she's accomplished so much and... I would love to be able to glean from her what the experience was like in the election process and just hear her, more about her experiences. Oh my gosh, can I be invited to that coffee uh, shop? No, <laughs> Can we get together for that one? Okay, Ramey, thank you so much. I want to leave our listeners with one final piece of advice from you, or maybe even a challenge. What would you tell our next generation as your parting words? Well, I have so much hope for the next generation. And I think that they are more open-minded and accepting, actually, which I think we're all aspiring to be. But I would say educate yourself on the systemic racism that exists in this country. Unfortunately, I think it's a disease that has over time just slowly deteriorated what we envision this country to be and what we want this country to be. And I would say, if you agree with that, act like every small action by each individual adds to a bigger change and will make a difference. And so I really encourage you not to get overwhelmed and feel like it's so complex because it is, but just do your small part, whatever that might be, and it will make a difference. Thank you so much, Ramey. I wholeheartedly agree. We each need to do our small part. And thank you again so much for sharing your story with us and being so open and honest in our Learnings from Leaders podcast with you today. Thanks for being on our show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It was an honor. It was fun too. (laughs) Thanks, Remy. And that's our show. Like what you heard? Please subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. For show notes about this episode, links to things mentioned, or requests for sponsorship, visit pgalums.com slash podcast or email pgalumpod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Learnings from Leaders is a production of the PNG Alumni Network 
global nonprofit founded by former PNGers committed to community, enrichment, and philanthropy. With more than 45,000 registered members worldwide, the network connects alums through global conferences, local chapters, industry events, and online content. Our nonprofit foundation supports economic empowerment in communities around the world. To find out more, visit pgalums.com. Now here's a preview of next week's episode. Things are changing so rapidly in the business world, not just marketing. So the key is going to be learning aptitude, flexibility, and agility. There's going to be problems that we don't even know exist yet that are going to have to be solved with technologies that haven't been invented yet. And we need leaders that are flexible enough to be able to change directions. 2020 was a huge example of that. The entire world was disrupted across all categories, how to figure out what can we do? How can we maintain our business? What changes do we need to make? And, and obviously there's still work to be done to recover from that. It's really about finding people that have that kind of agility and aptitude that they can run to challenges instead of run away from them. That's the kind of people you want to build relationships with and work with. That's it for this week. I've been Ida Abdelkani. And I'm still Raman Segel. Thanks for joining Learnings from Leaders, the PNG Alumni Podcast. We'll see you next time.